great video. Uh, God is all of those things uh, 100% of the time. So if he's the God who sees, uh, he is never caught looking the other way in your life. He sees all that's going on. And because he's a shepherd, he cares about what he sees and all those characteristics all um, weave together in his great personality. So take great comfort in them. Uh, welcome to worship. It's, uh, well, it's going to be a great week where you're going to eat vast amounts of food, correct? Uh, how many are here from college? You're actually home. Yes, you get a great meal. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Uh, we are in the book of Romans. If you'd like to turn there, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Um, my mother is actually moving here from California tomorrow night. She flies in. So she's excited. Sold her house. The movers came Friday, loaded it all up. She's been there for, I don't know, 35-something years. She's been in California for 80 years, her whole life. And so she's looking forward to becoming a Virginian. So I don't know what happened to my mother praying for her. So uh, she's all excited. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to having her, having her here. And she's here just in time to cook. Awesome. <laughs> well, she's not cooking. Yeah. Okay. She's not cooking. I, I was just been informed by my wife. She is not cooking. Yeah. You're not cooking or my mom's not cooking. Both aren't cooking. Okay. We'll just let that go right there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Anyway. Unbelievable. Uh, we're in Romans. Uh, we're chapter 13. We better get there quickly before I wind up in counseling or something. So <laughs> Romans 13 uh, verses 1 to 7 where uh, Paul actually stops and talks about the believer's responsibility to government. So he talks about politics. Uh, and so if you're wondering like, well, this church is talking about politics. Well, it's because Paul talks about it. And the Christian should uh, have a mindset to respond to government in such a way that uh, it's a godly response, not a godless response. So Paul's very direct here. And uh, we covered uh, two verses last week, and we're going to look at verses three through seven this morning. Let's pray. Father, uh, uh, just may your spirit be everything he's supposed to be when he is with us in settings like this. Uh, may he anoint us, uh, help us to understand what we need to understand about our role toward the government, to authorities. Uh, if we hold any viewpoint that is erroneous, faulty, uh, watered down, whatever that is that's not biblical, might we trade that for your viewpoint today? And that might not be simple. It might be hard. And so might we be willing to step up and bear our cross and be the kind of saint you want us to be in our culture? And for those who don't know you, I pray that you as the good shepherd uh, would shepherd their soul and show them their need through the things that we talk about today, uh, their need of a Savior, and that's the Christ. Amen. Uh, several years ago, when uh, Trump was not the president, uh, I, he, when he was running for president, uh, we, I, got a, I got a phone call one day from one of our prisoners uh, who is an attorney uh, and tied in with you know, political things. And she asked me, uh, she said, you know, uh, election day, what was, was that on Tuesday? The big election day? Yeah, it was a Tuesday. Uh, yeah, so it was a Monday night, and she said, uh, he's going to, uh, the candidate's going to be at uh, uh, Loudoun County Fairground. And if you'd like to come with us, we're going to, we have VIP tickets and you can come, you know, would you like to see a presidential rally? I, I, hey, I want the full orbed DC thing when I arrived here. So I want to see everything. So uh, I, I've been to all the Smithsonian's, I think, multiple times. And so a political rally, I've never been to one. So I decided to go. So there was uh, the lady, the attorney, then an, an, a reporter uh, for like Newsmax.com or something like that. A reporter was there, another young lady, uh, and then two other ladies uh, and me. So I cleared this with the wife first. Did I not? So I said, Liz, is it okay if I go to a political rally with four ladies? And she said, well, I was in she was in California. She wasn't even here. 
I'm not going to stop talking to her. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, do what you want to do. Yeah, okay, great. And so I went. Uh, and it was most interesting. It was, a, it was, I guess that was a Monday night. It was cold. Uh, it had on, you know, heavy, heavy coat and gear and everything because we, we anticipated staying outside for a while. But when we showed up there, uh, we had to park way down the country road and hike in with everybody else. There was no parking. And as we're driving along, we're seeing the long line that had been out there for five or six hours waiting to get in. Uh, there were about 12,000 people in line. It was unbelievable. And so we got up, to the, uh, got up to the line, and we realized with our VIP tickets, we got to go at the front. I felt really bad about that. I've never, I did. I've never done that before. Uh, but so, so you know, uh, we walked up to the front, passed everybody, and um, presented our tickets to the person at the gate, and they let us go in. And so we, we walked in ahead of those people and got into the big facility uh, where the VIP people were going to be. Uh, and so we, we were kind of the first people there, so we walked right down toward the front, just, I mean, just like, you know, two, three rows back. Uh, I'm like, this could be cool. I've never been in a presidential rally, and this is a lot of fun and everything. And so I went, and so um, that was at 6 o'clock, okay? 7 o'clock, still no Trump. Seven, 8 o'clock, no Trump. 9 o'clock, no Trump. 10 o'clock, no Trump. 11 o'clock, no Trump. I'm still there. Midnight, no Trump. Is he coming? We stood for six straight hours. There were no chairs. Was anybody else there? Nobody was there? Okay. Uh, there, were, there were no chairs. There was no water. There was nothing. You had to really want to be there. I'm sitting there thinking, I should have drove. You know, but here we are. And so we are committed. And, and so he finally showed up. And so uh, when he showed up, they had guards up at the front to keep you from you know, getting on the stage. When those guys uh, stepped back and these really big dudes came forward, I said, hey, I think he's here. Those guys are twice the size of the other guys. <laughs> and so, well, so as that was happening, uh, we had all been standing there right up at the front. had a beautiful view of the podium and everything. Um, as we're standing there, everybody's, everybody's behaving themselves, singing patriotic songs. It was, a, it was an awesome thing, uh, you know, to see what goes on. Well, as, as we were waiting there, uh, different individuals started pushing their way through the crowd all throughout the, I don't know, two thousand-something people that were standing there. Uh, and there were different people sort of pushing their way through the crowd that hadn't been there. And they're pushing their way, and, and I wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention until some guy pushed his way past me and went and stood in front of the four ladies that I was with. And he's bigger than me, and he stands right in front of them. He hadn't been there for six straight hours. What is the Christian response? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I personally, do you have pet peeves of things you just don't like? I, I'm sorry. I, since high school, I don't like cutters. <laughs> I really don't. And I've, in high school, thrown guys out of line before when I was on the wrestling team and had them go, what's your problem, man? I don't like cutters. Uh, so, you know, I know my carnal nature. I don't like cutters. He's cutting. I'm thinking to myself, that is so rude. Those four ladies, average height about 5'7", he just blocked their view with his, you know, 50-inch chest, and they, they can't see. And so I'm thinking, what's a Christian response? What are my options? Well, I, I pray. I, could, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't pick that one. I didn't pick that one. I think I could call the police. I could get the, the Secret Service uh, officer in front of me there. I could get him. Nah, that's probably kind of lame if I did that. So I just did the, the nice gentleman thing. I just tapped him on the shoulder. Just like that. Nothing major. Not provocative. Nothing. Just lightly tapped him on the right shoulder. What do you think happened? Scale of 1 to 10, 10 he went totally crazy, 1 he was totally nice. What do you think he did? We're talking 12. He went 
ballistic. You would have thought I mugged him or something. He goes crazy. He's he's yelling at me, cussing at me. And I'm like, hey, I'm just a pastor here with some of my people. And, uh, you know, hey, you know, I just, what you did is rude. Because he's telling me, like, what's your problem? I go, what you did is rude. These ladies have been standing here for six straight hours. You purposely could stand right in front of them so they can't see. And he's, he's cussing me out and the whole shebang. I'm thinking, this is not going well. Well, standing next to me is a guy with a shaved head. Guys with shaved heads just look intimidating. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, whoa. Yeah, and so how many guys have shaved heads in here? See? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had a guy with long hair last, last service go, he had down, hair down here, he goes, we look intimidating too. Everybody wants to be included. But anyway, it wasn't part of the sermon. But anyway, the guy standing next to got a shaved head. He looks kind of square jawed. It looks intense. So when he sees me engaging this guy, he steps in between me and the big guy. And he puts his chest right in this guy's chest, gets right in his face. And this is what he says. I am your worst nightmare. Go get him, dude. <laughs> Whatever. Like, whoa. I just came to hear the president-to-be speak, you know? Uh, and so he got in. He, he was, uh, he said, as he's screaming at the guy, because uh, the guy's like, man, what's your problem? Who are you? And he's I'm the sheriff. Oh, nice. <laughs> Neato, you know? And, you know, since I was a sheriff uh, chaplain for 1,300 officers before I came here, I kind of knew, like, what are you doing in a tense situation, you know? How do you de-escalate a situation? Not like this. I don't know. This was over the top. What does that got to do with my sermon? Everything. Everything. You know, because it's like, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I know, I know what Paul says in Romans 13. I'm supposed to be a model citizen. I'm supposed to exude Christ wherever I'm at. And there's these opposition people placed all throughout the audience that the minute the presidential candidate steps out, they start causing problems starting fights. Like, what is up with that? No respect. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, so we got the, the attention of the police, got the attention of the Secret Service, and they carried that man out of there. That's a Christian response. You <laughs> do not belong here. And they, they hauled him out. It's like, praise God, he, there he goes. That's a Christian response, is it not? You're sure probably shocked that I was at the thing. Just get past that. Anyway. So what, what is a Christian response in a dying, decadent, problematic culture? What, what are we supposed to be like when things like that happen? And by the way, it happens more now often than not, does it not? Amen. I mean, Ann Coulter can't even show up at Berkeley, that bastion of conservatism, and even, even talk without them yelling and screaming at her. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was out in uh, California recently to, for a book tour. They shut him down yelling and screaming at him. It's like, what happened to free speech? Intimidation? No, these are things we're not supposed to be about. So what am I supposed to be about as a believer? Paul talks about that in the first seven verses. What does a model Christian citizen look like? Were you here last week? Okay, let's test you. Oh, no, you weren't here last week. (laughs) Okay, what is a model? Number one, verse one. A model Christian citizen actually believes the government is divinely appointed. Did Did you hear me? You're still trying to swallow that one? So, yeah, all government has its origins in God. He's the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. He's perfect. They're not. They twist and abuse authority. But at the bottom line, they're all part of his sovereign plan. Point two. And, and, a, and a Christian believes that. So it doesn't matter, as I told you, if I'm at the White House uh, when Obama's a president, which I was many times with people who, from our church, our church that work there, you can respect that man. 
If I'm there with Trump, I can respect that man. Why? Go put him there. Which leads logically to point number two. We're still reviewing. A model Christian citizen does not live for the resistance. I am part of the resistance. Oh, what? What resistance? Well, he's not my president. I think that is so, it's almost kind of funny. Is he your president? Yes, ipso facto he is. He's voted on by the majority. So he's your president. So drop that whole terminology. Whether you like it or not, he's your president. So if you're a Christian, you should be not part of the resistance movement. Now, I told you last week all the reasons when you would want to resist. Because you can resist as a Christian, right? You were here. You said you were here. You weren't lying. So we talked about this last week. So we got to move on. I got limited time. But I don't live for the resistance. There, there have people been my entire life, that's all they live for. I mean, they were hippies with long hair, weird clothes, tie-dye this and that. Now they're like embedded in places and they're still living for the resistance. That's all they live. No, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't do that unless you meet the criteria we talked about last week. Point three, what should you be known for? Pretty simple. Point three, model Christian citizen is obedient, not disobedient to said authorities. And he's not just talking about politics either. He's talking about wherever you are and there's an authority. So there's laws, rules, and regulations for your work, correct? Yes. There's laws, rules, and regulations if you're in the military. Boy, is there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. And so you should be known for obedience. What does Paul say? Verse 3. We're now into the sermon. Verse 3. What does he say? For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Good people shouldn't fear authorities. Why? I'm not doing anything wrong. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Mm -hmm. Then what? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. Do you as a parent do this with your children? Do you want to get a car one day? I'm just saying. <laughs> you're obviously not going to do the car thing. Okay. You want to drive one day? You know? You want to have food? Etc. I mean, you're telling them, if you're obedient, then I'll, I'll bless you. What do you tell your kids if they're disobedient? Yeah. Only one parent here knows. They're in trouble, are they not? So Paul says, if you, you know, want to have a really good life, follow the law, all right? He says, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not, the government or whoever's over you, does not bear it, the sword for nothing. Why? Well, because they're a minister of God. Oh, what kind of minister of God? They are an avenger who brings wrath on those who practices evil. Therefore, he says, let me summarize my argument. He says, if you're a Christian, he says, it is necessary to be in subjection to authorities, primarily political in the passage, for two reasons. Not just because of wrath. I mean, they can do something to you if you break the law. That's a great motivation not to break the law. But you should do it for the sake of your what? Conscience. Let's focus on this. There's some heavy-duty stuff here. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be known for obedience, not disobedience. Um, so we all know from the scriptures that we will all, believers and unbelievers, give account to God for this life. You cannot escape it. All of us. Uh, and we know that believers uh, will be judged at the Bama seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells you so. That he's not going to judge you for heaven or hell there. You're going to heaven. He just wants to know how well and hard did you run after me? Were you obedient or disobedient? He's going to actually want to know how'd you do with the governmental authorities where I put you. Were you obedient? Were you disobedient? Non-believers will be judged at the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15, uh, and their judgment's altogether different. But that's where he says all things in secret will be made known. And he will judge them. They all have to, have to give account. Again, I think a lot of our people in our country forget they have to give account one day to God Almighty. Politicians included. 
So Paul says uh, authority is there to, to create fear in the lives of godless people. Fear. Uh, God has placed them in place, and so he, they propose laws to help keep sin and evil in check, to protect us. So think about the, the laws that you face uh, on the freeway. Speed limit, state of Virginia. Uh, I know, I'm going to mess with your life for just a minute. So you're outside of D.C. where you can actually drive. Um, speed limit is 65 when you get away from town, right? Like if you're heading toward Gainesville, it's 55, then it's like 60, then it's 65, and then... Like once, you, yeah, like once you get to Wyoming, it's like, just have fun. Yeah. So if it's 65, uh, and that's the law, and I can, I can, I can have, have payments to the, the government for breaking the law past 65, I know that I don't want to go past 65 because, you know, I fear authority, right? Like the state trooper. You don't want the lights on in the back window, right? Like, it's so awesome, the blue lights again, I love it. No, no, you don't want to do that. So the laws are there to create fear so people don't disobey the law. So if you are, uh, let's say, there's a lot of students here who are here from school. So uh, if you are here at school, doing school, and you're about to wind down for Christmas, and you're writing your final term papers, uh, do you want to, like, beef up your paper by plagiarizing? Uh, no, a lot, a lot do. But you, but you don't want to do that because if they find out you plagiarized, what happens? Well... You're going to get an F, and there's going to be repercussions. So th they have these rules in place to protect you so you can have such a better life. But what should a Christian be known for but model behavior of obedience? So you have to stop and ask yourself, what kind of person are you? Scale of 1 to 10. 10 is, I kind of skirt the law when it's convenient for me. Or 1, I obey it. Where are you on that grid? Moving on. He says that the people that are put in authority, he calls them uh, ministers of God. When is the last time you ever thought a politician was a minister of God? Am I a minister of God? It's a softball question. You're thinking about it? Okay, so what? am I a minister of God? Well, on Sunday. No, yeah, I'm a minister of God. He calls them ministers of God, these politicians. When, when was Paul living under which Caesar? Nero. Wow, he calls him a minister of God. Now, I find this most interesting. This is where Greek comes in handy. Uh, the word for minister of God is diakonos. What does that sound like? Well, okay, I'm, I'm ordained Southern Baptist. I, I wasn't planning on it. It's just what happened. They offered me a job, you know, when I needed a job, and I took it because I had kids. But anyway, so I got ordained. So I, I'm introduced to Baptist life, and I found out really quickly about deacons. They were like God and deacons. You know, and then I, what do they do? They deek. They <laughs> okay. But from having six years of Greek, I understand what the word means, diakonos, means to be a servant. You know, do, if politicians truly are servants of God, do you think they still have the mindset that they're servants of God or servants of themselves and their ideology? Hmm. I think they forgot about servants of the people, and they're more servants of their ideology. Now, when I first moved here in uh, November of 08, 11 years ago, which is shocking how fast this time has gone by, isn't it? Yeah, it's been, been a lot of fun watching God do great things. But when I first came here, we were at a couple's house uh, for dinner, and they were tied in with politics, and so the guys were all having a conversation. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm naive. I, I'm, not, I'm not privy to what they're really talking about. So they were talking about how some of these politicians had just recently come to D.C., and they had got like a, a beltway fever. I'm like, oh, that's really tragic. I mean... <laughs> You come here as a politician from Nebraska, Iowa, wherever you're from, and next thing you know, you got some kind of disease or something. I mean, that's just tragic. And so I'm just talking about like it's something real. 
Like, are they seeing the doctor? Are they going to Kaiser? Like, what are they doing? And they're looking at me like, where are you from? And they said, well, no, it's not a real disease. It's like, it's a political disease. Have you ever heard of it? How many have never heard of it? Where have you been? Okay. So, so like what it is, is like whatever you believed in your platform back here in your state, you get here inside the beltway, it's totally different. Because you give in to ideology, pressure, etc., and you forget about your constituency back home. That's, that's what it is. And, and, and so you forget that you are supposed to be deking. Did you, did you hear me? Serving who? The people, not the party, the people. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Back to my sermon. So Paul mentions no words here when he talks about uh, political types and what they should be doing and your responsibilities to obey them. He says in verse 4, for it, politicians, the government, it's a minister of God to you for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. Why? Because it doesn't bear the sword like in vain. He says it's a, it's a minister of God, an avenger uh, and who brings wrath on those who practice evil. This is interesting. Go back to Paul's day. Uh, during the Neronian Empire, uh, a magistrate could walk around with a sword. He could afflict capital punishment. He was walking around with a sword. And so when Paul's talking about a sword here primarily, he's talking about the ability for someone in political power to address a capital crime instantly when the facts were arranged. He says, that, talk about ultimate uh, level of uh, motivation for behavior is uh, the politicians should have rules and laws and regulations in place that uh, there's the ultimate price to pay if you commit heinous crimes. He says this is a, this is a deterrent. What has our culture done to uh, the sword concept in, in politics? Well, in my lifetime, they've watered it down, you know, and they've watered it down and watered it down, and so you can, you can commit all kinds of heinous crimes and sit on death row forever. And I speak from experience. Because, uh, well, the life I grew up in with my dad as a federal agent, I understand. There are super evil people. Uh, the head of, uh, the head counselor f uh, for San Quentin's death row was a prisoner at my last church. We had lots of conversations. And I've had uh, several people in my life murdered. I've never told you about. One of them was my youth pastor when I was in high school. Never told you about this. Uh, his name was Art. Art Hennessy was his name. Uh, and he was a layman who do donated his time as a police officer to this youth group. I was the head of the youth group. I was the president. We had a, a whole structure. And I was the president my senior year, and Art was the, the leader of our group. Uh, and he was a police photographer. He, he photographed crime scenes. He never did patrol. He showed up after the crime took photographs. One night, an officer couldn't make his patrol route, so they asked Art if Art could come in and... and um, Drive, drive the guy's car. And so Art said, sure, I'm not doing anything else. And so he took that officer's patrol car and he responded to a marital dispute in a trailer park. Uh, so when he pulled into the trailer park uh, to solve the marital dispute, next door was another trailer where there was a young man living there that I grew up with. He was a drug dealer. I knew several of them where I grew up. He was a drug dealer and a drug addict and he was, had all his stuff in his trailer. He sees the squad car pull up in front of his house. What's he do? He thinks they're coming to, for him when he's really going to the next door neighbor who's having a marital argument. And by the way, that's the most dangerous place for a police officer to go. So anyway, so Art pulls up and the guy that I grew up with came out from around the side of the trailer with an M1 carbine, shot him point blank, unloaded the whole magazine on the vehicle. He never, got out of the, he never got out of the car. His hands were still on the steering wheel. Never saw it coming. 
You know, I learned when I was 18, how, must, how should I think about capital crimes and punishment? What should happen to the guy I grew up with that led a life of drugs and crime and then shot my youth pastor point blank with an M1 carbine? Uh, what does Paul say? That the government should have a sword and, it, and it's for good reason. Now, being from California, where I moved years ago, I've heard all the arguments against capital punishment. I've heard them all. Uh, there's a better alternative. Let them have life without parole. Uh, the death penalty puts innocent lives at risk. I mean, I've heard them all. Uh, I've heard, we pay millions for the death penalty system. It's so unjust. You, you can deconstruct all of these arguments. And, and it doesn't take much to deconstruct them. Uh, because if, 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 you, if one of your arguments says it costs so much money to create this system of justice, uh, then we might as well get rid of the military. Why? Well, because we're spending a whole bunch of money on them, and why are we doing that? And so if you think about it, as a Christian, uh, what Paul says here, and I want to be obedient to the Scripture, what does Scripture say? Uh, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, this is how God puts it to Noah after the Noahic flood. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God has God made man, period. What has the person done who's taken the life of an innocent person? They've attacked the image of God himself. So when that guy I grew up with came around with an M1 carbine in a clip and unloads it on art in a car, he just forfeited himself. Because who did he really attack? God, God himself. Scripture is very clear that, uh, and we may not agree with it, so I told you in the prayer, God help us to understand what you say. Uh, scripture is very clear that it's all about retributive justice. That, ju that the politics must step in and guard us from truly evil people who've had the nerve to attack the image of God. What should a Christian do? Be obedient and not fear the sword of the, of the, of this, of the, of the politics because we know they're there to protect us. Protect us. That's what law is supposed to do. When you think about a law, it's to create fear so you don't break the law, correct? The other day, to switch gears, Liz and I uh, drove up to Aberdeen Proving Grounds because one of our um, two-star army generals was taking command of the base. And so we followed him through his career, and I've been through his promotions um, from colonel to one-star, et cetera, and I've done the promotions down at the Hall of Heroes at the Pentagon. It's been a lot of fun watching him move through his career. So we drove up to Aberdeen Proving Ground. Like, where are we going? Have you ever been up there? It's like a foreign country. I mean, it's like, this is a lot farther than what I thought. So, so um, when we're driving along, we cross over the Woodrow Wilson Bridge. Uh, and when you cross over the bridge and it says, welcome to Maryland, do you realize what happened to the speed limit at that time? What happened? Well, it went from 65 to 55. Okay. I'm a Christian. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go 55. So I gear it down across the bridge to 55. So we're driving along, and uh, we're trying to get there for the festivities, and, so, and I'm geared it down to 55, and, 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 and my loving wife looks at me after a while, and she goes, why are you going so slow? Yeah. Isn't, isn't that, does that happen to you? Why are you going so slow? You're, you're driving like an old man. Uh, no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm going to speed limit. All these other people, are, they need God. I mean, look at them. I mean, and so they're just, they're just flying, flying by me. They don't fear the law. They don't fear the sword. Because I have been told by prisoners here who've educated me, who drive in Maryland, that Maryland is known for speed cameras that are hidden alongside the road. Amen. And they've shown me where they are and identified them for me. Yes. I'm like, man, that is unbelievable. So I, I, did, I went 55 all the way to Aberdeen Proving Ground. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a Christian. 
I'm supposed to be obedient, not disobedient. I'm supposed to pay attention to the sword of the, of the state of Maryland, which is break the law. We're going to come down hard on you. I don't want to take it out of nowhere. You follow me? And I did it for two reasons, according to verse 5. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection to the laws of Maryland at that point. <laughs> not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. So I drove 55 uh, in a, watching everybody pass me for two reasons. Number one, I feared the wrath of the state. I don't want to take it. And number two, I did it for conscience sake. So that when I pull up to the gate in the darkness and we're in the middle of, uh, you know, we're the only car that pulls up to the gate to get in. And I go up to the guy at the gate to get into the base. You know, who are you? Why are you here? I'm here, I'm here for the, you know, the general is taking command of the base. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you on the list? What do you mean I'm on the list? Well, I don't see your name on the list. Great. Kind of degenerated from there. But when I, <laughs> you can't run a military gate. He's like, you just park your car over there. I'll get back to you later. Are you kidding me? And so it took us a while to get to the gate. But at least when I got to the gate, I had a clear conscience. Why? I obeyed the law while I was there. The last thing you want to see as a pastor is you're cruising on the freeway. You're in Maryland. You're doing 55. And going by you are FGL stickers. (laughs) Following God's lead. Our building program stickers. Because this has happened to me. And this happened to me and Darren one time. We're cruising along, and, and, and <laughs> a car goes flying by us way past the speed limit, and it has an FGL sticker from our church nice. on the back bumper. And Darren's like, who is that? <laughs> you know? like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, speed up and catch him. I want to see who it is. Speed up. So I sped up, and I'm trying to catch him. They kept going faster. I bet I can't quite see the angle of their face. You know, I'm like, I'm breaking the law now. You know, so... We never did find out who that was. But that person, you could take it up with God if that was you. So, but, the, but the laws are there. The sword is there at a variety of levels. If I committed a capital crime, I should face capital consequences for retributive justice. And if those aren't there, there's going to be more crime. And I've read, the, I've read the criminal stuff. I've read the articles even again this week. What says the criminal statistics? You can read articles that go both ways. But God says, if you commit a capital crime, you've attacked me. That has to be settled. And then if you commit a lesser crime, you should pay the penalty. Because if you water down law, crime goes down. (laughs) Did you hear me? If you water down law, does crime go down? Well, they think so in California because my mother is moving here tomorrow, right? I told you this. Proposition 47, she has been enjoying. Proposition 47, voted on by 60% of the favor of the people, 40% were against it, is a kinder, gentler way to look at felonies. Here's how it works. If you commit a crime and you, your crime is under $950, it's a misdemeanor, which means you're probably not going to do jail time. You might pay a small fine. They may not even do anything about it. So guess what's happened in the state of California? Criminals have determined, hey, is it, let's go to Macy's and let's walk around and add all the stuff up that we want. And then we'll all run in, grab those items because they're all, this $850 will run out nothing's going to happen. Aren't criminals smart? Uh, And so that's what they're doing all over the state of California. They're exploiting the law because they took the teeth out of the law. Now, what used to be a felony is a misdemeanor. And here are the statistics. Robberies in San Francisco are up 23%. It was bad already. Property theft, including shoplifting in LA, is up 11%. Overall crime uh, in Lake Tahoe, where I did all my sabbaticals when I lived there, is up 20%. Uh, La Mirada crime is up 36%. 
uh, in Chino or Chico, it's up 22%. And in Desert Hot Springs, out near where I grew up, crime is up 68%. I'm moving there. <laughs> what did Paul say? The government should have a sword, stiff laws with teeth, criminals have a brain. They pay attention. What should a Christian be like? One who knows that if I'm in government, I shouldn't relax laws. Uh, and if I'm an officer, I shouldn't enforce laws. Uh, and then if I'm a believer, I should obey laws. And if I live in such a way that I'm on the edge and kind of flaunting laws in small little ways, I should not do that. I should be known for obedience, not disobedience. So today might be a time for you to have a conversation with God to help, well, come clean. God help me to come clean. So my conscience is clear. Last point of the four things that Paul says a model Christian citizen should be. He fulfills his societal obligations. This is like amazing what he says here. What are my obligations, Paul? Well, he lists them here. Verse six. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Praise God. <laughs> For rulers, tax agents, are servants of who? God. Oh man, this is gonna get deep. Devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due unto them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom is due. So if you owe those kinds of taxations, he says, pay him, pay him, pay them. Let's, let's focus on this for just a minute. Uh, we have people here, because I can see some of you, that have, have worked or work for the IRS. This is your day. <laughs> this is all about you for the next few minutes. All right? Because Paul calls you here a servant of God. Just be honest, when's the last time you ever thought about the IRS being, it's the servant of God? Probably not typical American, but what did Paul say? He's living under Nero. And he says, all the tax collectors under the Neronian environment, he says, I see them as servants of God. Now, this is where Greek is most interesting. He drops diakonos, which means to serve, and he picks up another word. Uh, the, the word here is liturgos, liturgy. This is a word that is used in the Old Testament, Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, when they, you know, translated it from, you know, Hebrew to Greek. Uh, this is the word that they used to denote people who served in the temple of God. He's applying it to who? Tax collectors. And he's telling them, if you work for the government and you collect taxes from people, you are like a priest in the temple of God. See why I told you if you work for the IRS, it's days for you? You never knew your job was spiritual, did you not? Spiritual. Why is it spiritual? God created government. Government can only function if it does what? It has money, right? Because it doesn't, doesn't create anything. So it's got to tax its people. When it taxes them and those people collect the money, they're doing the work of who? God. So if you are into taxes, you should be telling everybody, I'm a minister of God. <laughs> when you are paying your taxes, what should you be doing? This is awesome. Honey, it's awesome. Now, I'm, I'm self-employed, so I pay quarterly taxes. I, I will say I have not done it with a great spirit all the time. Praise God. You know, every time I get a raise, it goes up. You know, it's like they're taking more. Uh, my daughter, when she got her first job and she got her first check, she was so excited. And she came to me. She was all upset. And I said, Manda, what's the matter? She goes, I got my first check. I've been totally ripped off. <laughs> and I said, well, let me see your check. I mean, did they add it wrong? And I'm looking at it. And I said, oh, they took out this much for tax, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, uh, that's all tax. That's so wrong. Have you had this? conversation? Yeah, it's welcome to being an adult, honey. And these people are ministers of God. <laughs> so what should a Christian be known for that's a model citizen? They pay their taxes. Now I have to ask you a practical question. 
when April 15th comes, because it's coming, do you like wait? So you get on the news, you're the last person driving through the post office with the guy that's standing out there and you dropping your envelope. Is that you? There should be no FCL sickers in the lot that night. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, you, <laughs> you should have got this done a long time ago because you pay on time because who are you paying? Well, as, as if you're paying God, okay? Okay, enough of that. I have a couple questions. Don't you? I do. I have some questions. Here are some of my questions. Okay, does this mean that I should be totally about higher taxes? If, if the IRS agent is a minister of God, that's what Paul says, then if they want to keep up in my taxes, should I just go, praise God? Praise God. It's, honey, it's awesome. Uh, no. Because higher taxes typically take away human freedom. Try, true? More they tax you, the less freedom you have. So there should be balance there. Number two, should I support laws um, that everybody should pay taxes? I mean, because does everybody pay taxes? No. no. I forget the stats. It's something like 46% or 50% don't pay taxes. And I read all the reasons why they don't pay taxes. But I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't support that concept either. Why? It's not fair. It's not fair. Uh, so should I support laws requiring that everybody, everybody pays? Yes. Why? That's fair. Because if everybody has to pay, then everybody has an ownership in this Americana thing. And that what's going on in this Americana thing, everybody's bought in. Why? They all pay equally. Point three. Question three. Uh, should I be all about taxing the rich and spreading the socialistic love around? Mm. No. No. Why? Well, Jesus talks about this in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 24, 14 to 30. He also talks about it in the parable of uh, the, the minas in, um, in uh, Luke chapter 19. Go read them. What's he say there? He's entrusting to you monies as you invest those for him in your lifetime and multiply his kingdom work through your obedience. He then, when he shows up, rewards you for your effort. He rewards you for how hard you worked. And some work hard and get a lot. And when the kingdom arrives, some get a whole lot because they really worked hard. No place does he ever say, I take what you got from my good hand and I disperse it to people who did not work that hard. He's not for that because it's not equitable. But other than that, as a Christian, when it comes to taxation, I should pay gladly. Why? Because I'm under mandate to be a model citizen. And Paul says, there are servants of God put there, pay what pay. Did not Jesus say this? Give to Caesar what? What is due Caesar and give to God what? What's, what's God's? That's what you should do. And then he closes with some very practical things. I should fear whom I should fear. I should honor whom I should honor. Okay, so you, you join... You join the military, and you go to boot camp, and you run into a drill sergeant. He's there to love on you, to encourage you. <laughs> I talked to one of our officers yesterday, Navy, Navy officer, and you know, said, how was your experience at boot camp? Oh, that guy just ruined my world, yelling at me, screaming at me, all the exercises, etc. Uh, so should you honor the drill instructor? You better. Who is going to go to boot camp and, and look at the drill instructor and go, <laughs> you look kind of funny in that hat? Uh, no. I mean, who's going to laugh at the drill instructor? No one. No one. You're supposed to honor them. Why? He's the drill instructor. He's the drill instructor. We're supposed to fear whom we're supposed to fear, honor to whom we're supposed to honor. So that doesn't matter. Who's the president? What am I supposed to do? Honor them. Honor them. Why? God put them there. I'm supposed to fear them too because they hold authority over me. And, and so it's, it's being like that. What has our culture lost? The, the ability to honor people. Our culture is, is awash in disrespect. It's terrible. 
It's terrible. Ann Coulter, you may not agree with everything that she writes about. I don't. But she tried to speak at uh, Berkeley recently. What happened? So many people yelled and screamed, they shut her down. There goes her first amendment rights. Um, people disrespect constantly, constantly. Uh, World War II Memorial has a reflection pond. Have you watched when people have gone wading in said reflection pond? Is it a swimming pool? Uh, no. Because over there on that wall are what? 500,000 stars for all the soldiers who died? And you're getting in the pool to cool off? This is a place of what? Respect. It's a place of respect and honor. Get out of the water. See, a Christian should be known as one who understands when you need to be honorable. I think we live in a great time because when we live in a culture full of disrespect, we will shine most brightly because we are supposed to be those who are honorable to all men and show them respect. We have a lot of work to do, don't we? But may God use us as his church, especially in D.C., to be these things to win people to Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you just for who you are, how practical the scripture is if we pay attention. Uh, and we have to be honest. We may not like what it says. We may struggle with its wording. But may our, our thoughts really truly be your thoughts. May our lives reflect your principles and help us truly to be model citizens for so much is at stake as we are kingdom members of another kingdom. Might we represent you well in the here and now. In Christ's name, amen.